We're looking at Psalm 119 this evening, so hopefully you grabbed a handout on your way in. It's the portion of scripture I've been working through as I get the opportunity to preach. Um, And Psalm 119 is a psalm all about God's word. And even further, it is a psalm all about God's word and how you relate to God's word or how this psalmist related to the word of God as he suffered. And this is shown in almost every section. Not in every section is suffering brought up, but almost every section of Psalm 119, we see at least some aspect of suffering. And especially in tonight's uh, section, we see very clearly the psalmist is dealing with a situation that is severe. His life is on the line. He is going through something that is very, very rough. And we see this in in two verses, and I actually have them at the top of your handout for you. Uh, And I'll mention them right at the beginning, and we'll look at them in in a lot more depth as we come to them, uh, as we work our way through this passage. But the first is Psalm 119, 107. It says, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. And then in Psalm 119, 109, it says, I hold my life in my hand continually but I do not forget your law. So both of these verses, we see suffering, but I would um, argue we see some suffering that is severe. And I'm going to explain that further um, or in more depth as we work our way through these verses. So we see tonight how the psalmist deals with severe suffering and how he relates to the word of God. So our uh, theme for this evening is the psalmist shows the place the word of God has in his life during severe suffering. And I'm going to work my way through this passage verse by verse, uh, right in order. So we'll start with our, our first point. We get the psalmist's view of God's word in severe suffering. If you look with me at Psalm 119, 105, a familiar verse. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So I'd like to begin letter A. Just think about a time in your life in which you were in complete darkness. All right, so think about a time, and, and there's probably a lot of times in your life that you experience complete darkness where you couldn't even see almost your hand in front of your face in this darkness. Maybe it's your bedroom at night. Um, you need to turn on a bedside lamp so that you can see to just walk around. Maybe it's on a camping trip. You needed a flashlight. In these times where it's dark out, we need light or we could seriously injure ourselves, we could walk into danger. And as I think about this complete darkness, um, I worked at Victory Valley, and and a lot of you know the program um, up at Victory Valley called Outpost. And we used to have to make a trek up to Outpost every single night about almost a quarter of of a mile through the woods to get to our tents in complete darkness. Now, fortunately, we had lanterns, we had flashlights, Without these, we could have easily uh, walked into rocks. We could have stepped on rocks, rolled our ankles. There were probably small divots in the trail that we could have twisted our ankle on. Um, But we had lanterns. We had flashlights to light up our way in this complete darkness as we walked walked up the trail uh, to outpost. The lantern and the flashlights allowed us to see the right way. The lantern and the flashlights allowed us to avoid danger or injury, or going in the wrong direction as there were several paths. And that's exactly, as we come to 105, that's exactly the word picture the psalmist is seeking to create in calling the word a lamp 
and a light. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He's saying the same thing when he says, your word is a lamp to my feet, as he's saying, secondly, and a light to my path. He's saying the same thing, or he's trying to get it across the same point in both of these uh, phrases. The psalmist is showing what the word of God is to him, what the word of God does for him. He's trying to say that it that just as a lamp provides light to see the right way to avoid danger, so too the Word of God shows us the right way and it helps us to avoid danger in life. We see how the psalmist views God's Word from verse 105. And so the application letter B, I would, I believe that almost every single one of us in this, this sanctuary tonight um, is at least somewhat familiar with this verse. You probably have heard it before. Many of us probably have it memorized. So my first question to you for application is, do you actually treat the Bible like a lamp and like a light in your life? In this verse, we find the Bible shows us the correct way to go in life. It shows us the correct way to live. Do we look to the Bible to show us how to act in a given situation? Do we look to the Bible to show us how to speak? Do we look to the Bible maybe when someone's hurt us? Do we look to it to see how we should respond to them? How should we act in that, that situation? Do we look to the Bible to shine light on our lives in situations and in people we encounter for how we should respond, how we should live, how we should speak, and how we should think about these things? So we all know this verse, but do we actually use the Bible like a lamp in our life? That's my first question for us to reflect on. But the second question, as we think of this comparison between a light on a dark night in the Bible, in the world we live, the second question, number two, is do we rely upon the Bible just as we would rely on a flashlight on a dark night? So when it's dark, we make sure that we have uh, a light on quick. When the power turns off, we make sure that we have batteries in our flashlights. We quickly maybe turn on uh, our phone flashlight if the power goes off or we light a candle. When we're walking in the woods, we make sure that we have a lantern and we have a flashlight. When it's dark in our room, we make sure that we have a nightlight plugged in or, or a lamp by our bedside. We rely on the light in the dark. Not many of us will try and make our way through um, the dark without a light. We heavily rely upon a light. And my question to us is, do you rely on the word of God the same way you do on that, as on that flashlight or on that bedside lamp? Do you rely on the word of God in the same way? To light up your way, to show you the right way to live in life. Do we realize the danger when we rely on maybe our own instincts Maybe our emotions to guide how we act and speak and respond rather than the Word of God. We need to rely on the Word of God just as much as we do on a flashlight on a dark night. That's what uh, the idea that's here in verse 105. So the psalmist looks to the Word as a lamp and a light for his life, and we should consider do we do the same? Do we have that same view of and actually use the word of God in that same way as if it was a light to light up our way so that we know which way or how to live? We'll move on on our passage to number two, the psalmist's commitment. 
to God's word in severe suffering. And I'll, I'll tell us right off the start, we're going to see another view of the word of God, and we're going to see another commitment later on in, in uh, this passage. And it's kind of how the, the psalmist organizes this section. But we get the first commitment that he makes to the word of God, and that's found in Psalm 119, 106, if you look with me there. It says, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. So in verse 105, the psalmist says that the word is a lamp and a light to his life, and he lives, lives by it, and now he's saying that he's following that lamp. That's how he views it, and now he's saying he's, he's seeking to follow that lamp. He's living by that light. He's committing to following it. He communicates this with strong language. If you look again at verse 106, he says, I have sworn an oath. Literally, he says he pledged, he committed, he dedicated himself, and we see what he commits himself to. In the second line, it says to keep your righteous rules. So he makes a resolution that he's going to be obedient. So we see the determination of the psalmist to be obedient to the word of God. So here's the application for us. First, we must make up our mind and further dedicate ourselves to following the word as the psalmist did. If you think about your life, Okay, you can't just expect this to happen naturally. You can't expect yourself to obey the word of God just naturally or by accident, but you need to be determined. You need to decide to obey the word of God. It's not going to happen naturally. We're going to go after our own natural sinful um, nature. But number two, often we feel convicted about something. We see the value in something. We wholeheartedly agree we should do something but then we never do it. So in one sense, we often might feel as if we want to commit our lives to this, or we want to dedicate our lives to this, and this might happen in a sermon. Okay, as, as you are convicted by the Word of God, this might happen in your own personal devotions as you read the Word of God, and then you never do what you felt convicted to do. Okay, Not necessarily because you're rebellious, not because you're choosing... Um, to not do it, but the reality is, reality is we forget. We become maybe preoccupied with something else. Um, we sit through a sermon, we leave the pew, and then we completely forget about that point that we are convicted of. Or maybe you're reading your Bible, and, and all of a sudden you get a text, you get a phone call, and, and that point that you were convicted of uh, goes away. So the question I want to ask thirdly is how can we, too, dedicate ourselves to keeping the word of God just like the psalmist? What does it look like to make a pledge to follow God's word? And just to give you some examples, to kind of get this on your mind, uh, even at the start of your day, make it the first thing you pray in the morning. You get up and you pray, God, I commit myself to obeying your word today. Help me to do so. Maybe write something specific down on a slip of paper that you want to obey from the Word of God. Put it somewhere that you're going to see it constantly. Maybe it's in your pocket and you're going to pull it out when you go to grab your phone or your keys and it gets it in your mind or you see it all throughout the day. Maybe it's just as you drive to work, as you get ready in the morning, recommit your day to following the Lord and His Word. Think about what you'll encounter. Think about um, who you'll encounter and how you can follow the Lord in these upcoming events. So we have to be determined, but also intentional about this. As I said, we won't do this naturally. We won't do it by accident. 
we must make up our mind, as we see the psalmist does here in verse 106, he makes up his mind, he commits himself to following the word of God. The next section we come to concerns the Lord and his word in the psalmist's life, and he gives two requests asking God to do something uh, with his word. As we see number three, the psalmist looks to God to use his word in severe suffering. And this comes from verses 107 and 108. And we'll start with 107, letter A. The first way we see he asks God to use his word is to renew him by his word. As Psalm 119, 107 says, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. So here the psalmist gives a glimpse into what he is going through as he says in the, the beginning of this verse, and I want to spend some time looking at this phrase, number one, I am severely afflicted. And as I started in the beginning, this is nothing new that he's dealing with suffering. He's been dealing with suffering all throughout this long psalm, but this is a unique section in how it's described. Okay, we get this word severely. This word severely, which is broken or is actually two words in the Hebrew. In, in the English, just translates it as severely. But it's actually two words in the Hebrew. Letter A, the first speaks of something that is lasting. So one of, this word, one of these words that kind of makes up or the translators decided uh, to use the word severely speaks of something that is lasting, it's continuing, it seems to always be the case. And then the second word that kind of fits together to get this idea of severe speaks of something being very great, mightily, very much, to a high degree. So he's suffering, as we're going to get in the second word, this word affliction, he's suffering for a while. It's not just once and done, and it's to a high degree. So see, the psalmist is speaking of his situation and what he's going through, continuing to the highest degree. There's no end in sight, and it's extreme. So that's the first word we get here to kind of create this picture of suffering but then, too, we get this word affliction, uh, which gives us clarity to his situation. This speaks of being bent low in weakness, which can certainly mean physically being bent over, not having the strength to get up, or the situation has just made him emotionally low. So three, taking these two words together, severely afflicted, the psalmist is saying, I'm suffering tremendously, I'm wrecked by what I'm going through, it's greatly affecting me, and it's lasted for a long while. So we get this picture of his suffering, and it's not just, just one time where he's suffering, but it's a continual thing, and it's something that he's, he's really struggling under. And I want you to consider in four, just to pause for a moment and consider the two verses that we had before this, and now this verse 107. And number four, it's an amazing thing that the psalmist was focused on living obediently as he looked at the word as a light to help him live a godly life, and he pledged to follow God's word in his extreme despair in his darkest days, the psalmist had a desire to obey God. So if you think about it, that's an amazing thing, that he's struggling so, uh, so bad, his suffering is extreme, and yet his focus is to follow God in this suffering. So the application is just to consider our own lives and to say, can we say the same? Can we say the same? If it's been in the past, or if it's right now, currently, or if it's in the future, will our focus be during our struggles, during extreme affliction and hurt and suffering, will our focus and desire be to obey God's word? 
The psalmist presents us with an example here of doing exactly that. And you can think of even just the smallest way of suffering. You get a splinter or you get something in your eye or you're sick for a period of time. It's really easy to focus on that thing. But here we see he's suffering in an extreme way. And we're going to get some more specifics in a moment. And his focus is following the word of God. Go to 2, the, the second phrase in verse 107, and we see what he asks God concerning his word. Verse 107 says again, or the, the second half says, give me life. So his request is, give me life, O Lord, according to your word. So we, we're, we've seen this phrase, give me life, before, and it, it speaks of, or the psalmist is saying, revive me, restore me, refresh me, raise me while I'm down. He's asking God to, to really refresh his spirits, to pick him up and restore him as he's going through this. And he asks this specifically concerning God's word. He says, use your word to revive me. As he says, give me life, O Lord. And then he says, hoarding to your word. So he asks God to use his word in his life in this time. So he's running to God for his strength. For help. He's running to him to pick him back up, and he realizes that God has given him the tool. It's his word. And he asks God to use it in his life to revive him, to refresh him as he's going through this severe suffering. So the application for us is we should ask ourselves, as we experience severe suffering like the psalmist is going through, do we first, letter A, run to God? So is that the first direction we run when we're struggling? Do we run to someone else or is it to God? But then second, letter B, further do we ask him to use his word? C, do we then spend time in it, reading it, thinking about it? So not just expect him to use his word in some magical way, but we have to actually be in the word, reading it, thinking about it. And then D, do we constantly ask God to revive us through the words we read and hear, not relying on ourselves as we read and study to find something to help us, but asking God to help us through his word. So we see here that it takes effort on our part to pray and then to actually be in the word and then to also pray while we read the word. If we're getting practical and how we actually do this takes effort on our part. So we should be challenged to pray and rely on God as we experience suffering and not to just stop there, but to actually turn to his word, get into this, if you want to call it a tool that he's giving us as we experience suffering, he'll use it to restore us. So the first way the psalmist looks to God to use his word is to restore him in his difficulties. And now second, we see he looks for God to use his word in that letter B, he asks for him to teach him from his word. If you look with me at Psalm 119, 108, it says, Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. So number one, the psalmist begins in this verse by speaking of his worship. As he says, accept my freewill offerings of praise. Which as you think about it again, just wh what the psalmist does as he experiences suffering is an amazing thing. Considering his situation, he's going through a trying time, he's struggling greatly, and yet he turns to praise the Lord. It's not always our response as we suffer. And he's asking God to look at his praise favorably. He wants God to accept it. And one more phrase to consider that speaks volumes about the psalmist is, again, if you look at verse 108, he says, accept my 
free will offerings, which speaks of an, a voluntary thing. This word free will uh, speaks of him offering these willingly. No one's forcing him. No one's compelling him. But he desires to worship the Lord in his suffering. But then we come to the request. Number two, the request concerning God's word, he says, teach me your rules. Teach me your rules. So he just asked that God would revive him. And now secondly, something kind of different. He says, teach me your rules. He's saying, God, teach me your word. The psalmist had God's word. He could read God's word. We would expect that everything he needs is right there, but the psalmist shows us something very important from this request as he says, teach me your rules. Number one, he is realizing that even though he is God's word, there's something more that he needs, and that is understanding. That is to see the truths of God's word. So by saying, teach me your rules, he's not just saying, tell me your rules He's looking for understanding. He wants to understand them. He wants to uh, better uh, comprehend them. He asks God to teach him from his word, to help him grow in his understanding of it and how he can live for him. But then secondly, what we see from this request is the psalmist shows a desire to continue to learn. As I said, he asked this before. We've seen this request um, now several times. So he's obviously acquainted with the word of God, but he shows a desire here to want to continue. He wants to continue to grow in his knowledge of God's word and his living out of God's word. So the application for us is I'd ask you to consider, do you have this desire to continue to learn God's word and grow in it? Do you have this desire to continue to learn God's word and to grow in it? That's what we see the psalmist has here. So as we read from God's word, we should pray that God would teach us. That as we read, he'd give us understanding, but even bring to light things that we may have never understood or comprehended or known how to apply to our lives. And also as we think about application, this is one of the many reasons that we continually return week after week and even several times, even on a Sunday, to come to church, to sit under God's word so that we could understand it better, to learn from it. Um, that's a direct application to this point. It's why we're here this evening, to certainly worship the Lord through song, through prayer, to be together for fellowship. But one of the reasons we're sitting here tonight is to learn, to be taught from the word of God so that we have a better understanding. So there's a continual need to learn from God's word, and we should have a desire to do so. So we see God in his word in the previous two verses as the psalmist makes requests that God would use his word in his life. And now in, in the next section, we see uh, the psalmist speaking of, his, of himself and speaking of how he uses the word of God. So we'll go for, to the fourth section. The psalmist obeys God's word through severe suffering. If you look with me at Psalm 119, 109, through 110, it says, I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. And then verse 110 says, the wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. So we'll take these next two verses together as they communicate similar things, and we'll begin with verse 9 as the first phrase uh, might be a little difficult to understand, but again, it kind of gives us a further picture of what the psalmist is going through. Letter A, 
we come to this phrase, I hold my life in my hand continually, which maybe is understandable to some, but again, it's maybe not a common phrase that we use, but it shows, once again, the severity of the psalmist's situation. So what does it mean that the psalmist says, I hold my hand or I hold my life in my hand continually? Well, I want to give you several scripture passages that we see the same phrase or a similar phrase that gives us an idea of what this speaks of. Judges 12 verse 3 says, And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand and crossed over against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Then 1 Samuel 19 verse 5 says, Technical difficulties were experienced at this portion in the sermon. The message will resume where the issues were resolved. Forever. He's saying, I have inherited. I have received. So it's rather a verb. He's saying, I have inherited your testimonies forever. I've received your testimonies forever. And to get an idea of what this word heritage speaks of, number two, this word is overwhelmingly used in the Old Testament to describe inheriting land, and specifically the promised land. So I have several um, passages or verses for us to look at where we see this word used for the promised land. Exodus 23, 30 says, Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possess the land. Same word. Exodus 32, 13 says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And then we get it twice here in Joshua 14, 1. These are the inheritance that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan which Eleazar the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. So when the psalmist says in our passage that God's word is a heritage to him, that he's taken possession of the word of God, he seems to be comparing it to land. As, as I said, overwhelmingly and almost always this word is used to, to, to talk about land physical land, and especially the promised land. So when he uses this, it seems to, again, be kind of creating a word picture of he possesses God's word, just like someone would possess a piece of land, which I have there three. Possessing a land, especially back in the day, brought security, it brought produce, it brought fruit to you, and a feeling of being established, which... The psalmist is speaking here about having these things, having security, having produce, feeling established, which is an amazing thing when we take this in the context of the rest of Psalm 119. As I have there in 4, Psalm 119.19, the psalmist had this to say. He said, I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. By saying that he's a sojourner, He was saying this due to the turmoil, due to the suffering that he was feeling, and he's saying here by using this word sojourner that he feels like an outsider. He feels like he has no place to call his home where he felt secure. So it's an amazing thing that now he can say in Psalm 119.11 that the word is a heritage to him, that he has inherited 
the word of God, that it's a possession, that he has security in the word of God. And we see how long this will be the case. Number two, got that word forever there. It comes at the end. It says, your testimonies are my heritage forever. And we already saw this idea, this quality of the word of God in Psalm 119, 89, that the word of God is going nowhere as it said forever, O Lord. Your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And the psalmist is saying the same thing here, that he can rest secure in God's word continuously. No one's taking the word of God from him. It's not going away. He doesn't have to be worried about someone taking it from him. Maybe like someone would have to be concerned about someone taking their land. So the psalmist declares that God's word is an inheritance. It's a possession, like one inheriting and possessing land. We'll go to B and look at the second half of verse 11, where we're told why he counts the word of God as, an, as his inheritance. Look with me at Psalm 119, 111 again. It says, your testimonies are my heritage forever. Here's the reason. For they are the joy of my heart. We get his view of the word of God. He views it as a lamp and as a light. And now we see here, he views it with joy. It's something to rejoice over. God's testimonies bring him joy. God's words are a cause for rejoicing. The word of God makes him glad. So the security, the firmness, the fruit that comes from the word of God, just like one would have from a piece of land, brings him joy. And he even says, they're the joy of my heart. If you look back again, it says, for they are the joy of my heart. Which it seems like the psalmist is trying to say, it brings him the most joy. It brings him the great, greatest satisfaction, makes him the most glad to have the word of God. So the application for us, number one, we should ask ourselves if we have taken the word and possessed the word like one with a piece of land. Do we look at it for our security? Do we realize the fruit that can come from it? Does it cause us to be firm? Further, number two, we should ask ourselves if God's word is the joy of our heart. Is it your greatest delight? Does it cause us to rejoice? And I think there are a lot of, a whole lot of other things that compete for our rejoicing in our lives and in our hearts. And then thirdly, as we think about applications, especially considering this whole passage as a whole again, he rejoices not because of his situation, but because of the word and what it says and brings in his life. So he can have joy. He can be the most glad in his darkest days, in this severe suffering, not because of that situation, but because of the word. He can rejoice in his severe suffering because of what the word of God brings him. And then our passage closes with another commitment. We'll look at number six, the psalmist's commitment to God's word in severe suffering. If you look with me at Psalm 119, 112, it says, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. So the psalmist already made a bold statement about his commitment in verse 106. He said, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. And now he makes another commitment. And again, it's to obey God's word. And we see, we get some, a more idea uh, or a more better understanding of this commitment as we see he describes it as something he does sincerely and something he does constantly. Letter A, we see 
is sincerity. We see, see this as a commitment that is sincere. It's genuine. As he says in verse 112, I incline my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes. Inclining his heart means, it's kind of a, maybe a foreign idea to us. Inclining his heart means to, to extend or to stretch out towards doing something. It means that his heart is what drives him to obey God's word. His heart, his being, is behind his obedience. His obedience flows from his heart. Meaning that this is something he does sincerely. He does it genuinely. He really desires to obey God's word. He's not being forced to. Someone's not making him do this. It's not just out of obligation. But he really wants to follow God's word. Back in Psalm 119.36, I believe I have this on your handout, the psalmist prayed this prayer to God. He said, incline my heart. So same phrase, but he's asking a prayer this time. He says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. So he prayed that God would cause his heart to stretch and extend towards his word rather than things that he would desire sinfully, done out of selfishness. So the psalmist prays and asks for God. God's help for this thing that he now seeks to do in our passage. So the application for us is we see a balance in Psalm 119 that on one hand, this takes prayer and reliance upon God to incline your heart to his word, to have a sincere desire to follow it. But on the other hand, the balance is that it takes you working towards this, you doing everything you can to have this desire and obey God's word. So we see it's something we should pray for, but it's also something we should, we should go after in our lives. Look at the second thing we see about this commitment, and that's the constancy. Okay, the constancy. The fact that he does this constantly. Psalm 119, 112 says, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. So he said earlier that God's word is there forever, and now he says that he's going to obey it forever to the end of his life. So two ways we see this constancy or this continuation of obedience is from the word forever and then this word to the end. So the psalmist is showing that this isn't just a one-time thing or it's a stage in his life that he's going to obey the word of God, but he has made it his goal and will pursue obeying the word of God the rest of his life. So the application for us, um, I believe some of you know this, but I, I ran cross-country in in track in high school, and our coaches um, had us fill out what they call goal sheets. And we had to fill out both goals for um, the next couple races, but also for the whole entire season. Some, some times that we wanted to uh, get to, maybe some accomplishments we wanted to have, so we had to write down goals for our season. Now I want you to think about if you had to write down goals for your life, what would they be? What are your goals for your life? For kids in school, is your goal to get all A's? Is it to go to college someday? Is it to do well in the sport you play? Maybe for young adults, is your goals for life maybe to buy a house, to get married, to buy a car? Maybe for adults, is your goals in life maybe to build your own house, to have kids, to travel around the world? But number two, I ask, how about strive to obey God's word sincerely for the rest of your life? Is that a goal you would include? If I had you list down or list your 
top five goals for the rest of your life? Is this something that you have set out to do already? Is this something you keep your mind on often? Psalm 119, 112 should be a verse that we make our goal as we consider the rest of our life that each and every day, each and every stage of our life, no matter if it's at 20 or if it's at 90, we're seeking to obey God's word and live it, live by it in every area of our life. I recently got finished with a study uh, this spring in the book of Joshua, and we saw two, two people in Joshua, two older men. Uh, first, it was Caleb as an older man. He was 85 years old, and then it was Joshua. And both of these guys showed lives that they sought to follow the word of God. They fought, sought to, to follow God both in their, their early years, around the age of 40, and then all the way we got to see that they were faithful to the end, to their dying days, we got to see that these men were faithful in following the word of God, and that is the idea here, that the psalmist is seeking to obey the word of God the rest of his life to the end. So we see the psalmist in his time of severe suffering. We've seen how he follows the word of God like a light on a dark night. He's committed to following the word of God sincerely and constantly, and he's made it his goal to do it for a lifetime. He relies upon God to use his word in his life, and we saw he obeys the word of God no matter what. And I want to close by just giving us another example. As I was thinking about biblical examples, we've, we see the example of the psalmist. I just mentioned Caleb and Joshua, but I want to give just one familiar example to us, and that's from the life of Daniel. In the book of Daniel in chapter 6, we get an example of this, this same type of idea that the psalmist presents in our section of Psalm 119. Someone who goes through severe suffering. His life is literally on the line, and yet we see how he treats God and his word. If you look with me at Daniel 6, I have it on your handout, Daniel 6, 3 through 5, I'll read that, comment on it, see some connections to Psalm 119, and then read a second section. It says in Daniel 6, Three through five. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So we see a few connections to our passage uh, this evening. Daniel, at this point in, in chapter 6, he shows up in chapter 1 as a teenage boy, as a young man. Now in chapter 6, he's no longer a teenage boy. He's an older man. And yet in verse 4, we're told that he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So just like the psalmist, he wanted to obey God, and he did obey God for a lifetime. But we also see how people schemed against Daniel. In our passage, we see people didn't want him to have the highest position. They're jealous of him, so they're out to destroy him. Read Daniel 6, 6 through 11, if you look with me there. It says, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. 
All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document in injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. The point to see here, we see a, a biblical example of what we find in Psalm 119 in our section, is that Daniel continues to obe be obedient to the word of God, even with the temptation of death. Trying to avoid death is there. His life's on the line. We can call this severe suffering like the psalmist dealt with, and yet Daniel has a commitment to following and obeying the word of God. So the challenge we're left with from the psalmist's life and Daniel's life is to continue to obey the word of God and rely on it and be committed to it, even in severe suffering. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, I just thank you for this example, uh, just of the psalmist uh, this evening, just of dealing with a, a really rough situation. His life seems to be on the line, He's dealing with severe suffering, and, and Lord, yet he has his mind on you and your word. He's looking to it. He's relying on it. He's committed to it, and he's seeking to follow it the rest of his life. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to do so. Pray that you would help our hearts to, to go after your word, to want to follow your word. And Lord, I just pray that you really would help it to be a, something for us that we, we would be able to keep your word the rest of our lives. Help this to be our goal. Help it to be what we're striving for and give us the ability uh, to do exactly this, even as we deal uh, with difficult circumstances. Lord, just thank you for the time that we could gather uh, tonight. Just thank you for uh, allowing us to be able to worship you, being able to hear from your word, and even just help us with uh, being able to have a time of fellowship even after tonight, just as we talk with each other. Just pray that our conversation and our interactions uh, in our meetings would just be honoring and glorifying to you. And in your name I pray. Amen.